Volt. Recorded. Now it sounds mad. When the doctor became human, he took the alien part of himself and he stored it inside the watch. I mean, it's not really a watch, it just looks like a watch. An alien means not from abroad, I take it. The man you called John Smith, he was born on another world. A different species? Yeah. Then tell me in this fairy tale. Who are you? Just a friend. I'm not, I mean, you haven't got a rival, as much as I might. Just his friend. Human, I take it. Human. Don't worry. More than that, I don't just follow him around. I'm training to be a doctor. Not an alien doctor, a proper doctor, a doctor of medicine. Well, that certainly is nonsense. Women might train to be doctors, but hardly this could be, and hardly one of your colour. Oh, do you think? Bones of the hand. Carpal bones, proximal row, scaphoid, lunate, triquetral, pisiform, distal row, trapezium, trapezoid, capitate, hammock, then the metacarpal bones extending in three distinct phalanges, proximal, middle, distal. Yes, to pass my exams. Can't you see? This is true. I must go. If we find that watch, we can stop them. Those boys are going to fight. I might not be a doctor, but I'm still their nurse. They need me. Live. You're in your bathroom, where now, every time you step out of the shower, you could swear you hear a voice saying... What are you hiding? What have you got there? It's Doctor Who. Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Podshock, episode 83, for the week of June, what's today? June 4th? Oh, yeah. well, we're recording this on the 3rd, and um, we're doing another live over the net episode of Doctor Who Podshock. This is going out just as the other past few episodes have gone out, live, roar, as I, was, as I like to coin the phrase, if I can borrow it from James, I have, um, I have licensed the term from him, is rough, ready, and roar. So it's the, and that's no offense to um, James, I hope, or his podcast. It's just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, so the audio is going out as it's being recorded. It's not going through post-productions. We decided to do this um, just to expedite the backlog of podcasts that we had um, that were waiting to go through post and so we can get uh, caught up with the BBC transmissions of the live um, of the episodes so that we're in sync with them. We do plan to get back to doing some more quote studio unquote podcasts again uh, relatively soon and those will have um, those will go through post productions and it will have their enhanced podcast available for those as well. Um, just a programming note for next week. Next week, our live recording is taking place at a later time. This is because I'm unavailable at this time, and I would not be able to do the podcast. So, um, so instead of foregoing the podcast, we're uh, recording at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. I know that's a big difference from 1 p.m., 
Uh, I'm going to be rushing back to the podcast. Hopefully I won't hit traffic, and um, hopefully it won't be delayed any further than that. Uh, This is a spoiler warning for those that are listening. In this podcast, we're reviewing uh, the conclusion of Human Nature, The Family of Blood. So if you have not seen this episode, be warned. There may be spoilers. There most probably will be spoilers that will follow. So if you have not seen this episode, please pocket this ep- this podcast until you have. And uh, there's no expiration date, so don't worry about it going stale. And you can uh, listen to it at a later time. So, Family of Blood. Wow. Well... The one word I posted on our forums was bravo, and I, I, I think that really sums up my feelings here. Um, it, it's, it's a wonderful conclusion. It continued the momentum of human nature, and um, I only, unfortunately I only had the time to watch it once, so uh, there was a couple things that I have some questions about that I'm hoping that our uh, discussion here might clear up for me, and, um, and then I'll finally get a chance to watch it again. And, that will probably um, clear up some of the myths. So, everyone else think of this. You know what? I forgot to introduce everyone. Bad me. Bad. <laughs> Joining me on this lovely podcast, we have my co-host here across the great pond, James. Hello, James. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well, mate. How are you? Sounds like you're being... Yeah. Are you in, uh, are you back in the UK or you're in still in the Netherlands? I'm back in the UK this week. I've just finished my exams for my degree, so I'm all done now. Hurrah! But I will be going back to the Netherlands tomorrow, so finish off my internship. Great. Uh, another. Um, I guess till the end of August. So, but at least now I can have a chill out on an evening and not have to worry about the stuff for my degree, which is nice. It's all good. Yes. Well, as, as uh, Dave said in the chat, well done, James, and I, I concur. Cheers. So, Very kind. Yes. Also with us is, and I, I believe so far unspoken, is Mr. Ken Deep. <laughs> yeah, mark the date on your calendar that I'm so far unspoken. <laughs> that won't last. It's so it's so early in the podcast. So. It certainly is. Maybe the cost hasn't kicked in yet. Uh, <laughs> let me take this opportunity to congratulate James on being the smartest bloke in the room. Get out! Get out of here, mate. That's <laughs> putting a lot of pressure on uh, our James. We're counting on James to uh, to. A worldwide famine and a few diseases here and there. Maybe build a bridge or two in his spare time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, mate. Uh, I don't know. That seems like a lot to live up to. But no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. And um, I, of course, am Louis Tricani, and um, in no the U.S. No pressure on you either, Louis. Oh, oh, thank you. And we are joined with <laughs> our regular contributors. And that includes Mr. Darth Skeptical. Hello, Darth. Hey, guys. How you doing? I'll try not to fall asleep this time around. Now, I made extra coffee for you. And Thank you much. A case of jolt is on its way to you. <laughs> Excellent. I'll need it. Uh, and this is, um, <laughs> this is because uh, it's in the really wee hours of the morning for Mr. Darth. 
But um, the circle is now complete. And off. Um, well, uh, <laughs> also with us is uh, our Canadian correspondent, Mike Duran. Hello, Mike. Hey, Louis. Hey, everybody. Uh, glad to be hey. here. You're sounding good. And um, yeah, I, I, I've seen the episode. Unfortunately, I watched it at about uh, 3 this morning. Um, I got home pretty late, so uh, some bits are a little hazy, uh, but I know I liked it. Okay. So that's well, the important thing. Let, I'm hoping we can clear up some of the haze today. Purple haze. And speaking of which, Mr. Harassanetician is with us. Good day, all. Good day. Good day. Trass is with us. He's, uh, he's out. Um, he's joining us right before he... Um, Joins um, a bunch of other Doctor Who fans, the Doctor Who um, DWNY, the Doctor Who organization in New York, and hopefully we won't keep him too long and he can um, enjoy both festivities. And would you give them uh, give them our love, please? Yes. Yes. Uh, I'll give them something. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to know what? <laughs> give them the key to the TARDIS. So. As I was just saying, um, so what did everyone else think of this episode? I know Mike said that he liked it. Um, let's um, let's hear from James and Ken. Fantastic. That's all I'm going to say. Just utterly <laughs> We all have like one word reviews. Mine was Bravo. Yours is fantastic. Mr. Ken. I, uh, I emailed Lewis last night after watching the episode. and I Oh, yeah. My email simply said five out of five, which really sums <laughs> it all up. <laughs> Premature reviewing that. Uh, there was, there was no, there was no letdown. Um, where sometimes with, with the Satan Pit, um, there was a little <laughs> drop of letdown. You know, it didn't, it couldn't keep the momentum going. I, I didn't feel that in this episode. I, I think it, uh, it flowed very well. I think it, it, it worked exactly the way it sh- a two-parter should. There was a little bit of the, you know, like the, um, the opening of the episode, concluding with the whole hostage standoff and stuff, uh, ran into your typical Doctor Who, uh, uh, you know, runaround bit, um, but that's, that's Doctor Who, uh, I think it, it's more than made up for it, um, in, in its resolution of different problems, um, in, in some ways very unexpected, especially, especially after seeing the trailer last week to this episode, and seeing the Doctor on his wedding day and holding the baby and stuff, and it was like, okay, how are they going to get out of this? Yeah. And I thought it resolved itself very well, and I really, the thing that they guaranteed this five out of five for me was um, the fact that um, that that his um, the, his love interest just told him to go away. Uh, mm. That was really real to me. That was not some kind of uh, you know, a play or movie or TV show that you would see where there's some kind of flourish at the end. It was very real to me that she just told him to go away, just, just leave. Um, mm. And the fact that she says to him, if you didn't randomly choose to come here, would all these people have died? I mean, that's, that's just, you know, it just, it, all, it worked. Everything about that worked for me. And, um, and back to back, five out of five, and did not disappoint. And, and to that one person who posted that idiotic thing, we discussed it last week, about the controversy of using this book and blah, 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 blah. Just really, just go away. 
Leave. <laughs> <laughs> Go away, because we 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 really got something special here. You know, I'm sure he or she did watch the episode, and and whether he or she admits it or not, probably really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really, I don't understand even if 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 this episode, even if you disagree with the fact that this episode that it was our assessment that this was a very good episode, even if that wasn't really your favorite thing. Or, you don't really like the doctor love story kind of thing. Um, it's still just a quality piece of work. You can't, from from a strictly uh, X's and O's point of view, uh, a filmmaker filmmaker's point of view, could you point to something and say, well, yeah, you know, geez, they didn't, the editing was bad or the directing was bad or you know, it, it, everything. The production team, everybody to a person, raised their game for this episode. Mm-hmm. From the costume mm-hmm. to the special to the, effects to the acting, acting was top. I mean, from oh. David Tennant, um, um, Adger, uh, superb. Yeah, just utterly superb. Freema Adjaman and um, and the the actress that played the nurse. Freema Adjaman in the in the and towards the end of the story when she's talking with the doctor outside the TARDIS and stuff. The subtleties in what she was doing and and the way it was coming across was just wonderful. And David Tennant saying to the boy, you're going to like this, was Doctor Who magic. Yeah. Doctor Who magic. On par mm. with any of his past, on any of his predecessors. Mm. Mm. So, um, we're going to go down the list and maybe we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll get some of the um, people that went in the queue since they got in the queue early, early on. But let's go to our other uh, regulars here. Draw? Oh. You still awake? <laughs> I... Yeah, let me get myself back going here. Uh, yeah. You know, um, Sean Huckster, who's a regular contributor to our forums, mm-hmm. I think summed up my feelings quite well when he succinctly said, though it felt good, it just made no damn sense. Uh, the plot is actually quite weak um, because the setup that it makes in episode one in fact, in the first five minutes of episode one, is never really um, carried through to a logical conclusion. Um, I, I've done a lot of posting in the forum this week about the problems of the watch, where the watch is, when it's open, what does it do, and I was looking for this episode to tell me more about that and perhaps to allay some of my problems with the watch, and I didn't get anything. It, it fundamentally makes no sense about this entire story, why the family of blood eventually find their way to this little town in England at this particular moment in time. And without understanding why they get there, I think the entire plot sort of falls down on itself. Um, I was looking also in this episode for some explanation of... Uh, Tim's prescience, but I didn't get anything. I was looking also in this episode for something which um, significantly diverged this episode from Superman 2. And instead, what I got was the Doctor effectively kneeling before Zod and putting on Clark Kent glasses and making Lois forget everything that happened in Niagara Falls. Um, I think it goes beyond being homage to Superman 2 and beyond being 
an archetypal story of the hero's quest over the edge a bit into being theft. Not bad theft. Certainly there's a lot more to it than that. But the the basic plot structure is very... It's too similar to Superman 2 for me to just let that pass. Maybe because I saw Superman 2 a lot and, and just really liked that film. Um... I also think that those guys that wrote the boycott, in fact, turn out to have something of a point. I don't think it's the point that they intended. I think they were trying to say you shouldn't adapt something that was written before because it messes up continuity in the new adventure novels. I don't really care about continuity in the new adventure novels, so that doesn't matter to me. But I think that they have a point in saying that the written story is actually better than this story. If for no other reason that the motivation of the aliens is actually stronger, or the use of aliens, rather, in the book, is actually stronger than the use of aliens here. The whole thing about the Doctor hiding, it, it really makes no sense. Not as much sense as the Doctor just saying, um, you know, I want to change because I want to do it. I think I found that stronger in the novel than I did here in the uh, adaptation. But having said all that, there is a ton of stuff in here that I like, and I, I think I've just posted on the forum something to the effect of, uh, this is merely a five. And I don't think that there are too many things that you can say are merely a five. It's just that there's, they could have done so much in terms of... Uh, clogging up some plot holes by adding a line here or a line there, and then I would have less questions, I think. But the, I, a fabulous I tend, episode. I tend to disagree with you, Darth. I mean, the only thing that I really had a problem with um, in terms of uh, a plot hole was um, Tim's whole ability to be able to get certain things right just by guessing his what you called his pre-science or whatever. Everything else, I thought, personally was explained with just one line or with, um, you know, some... I, I thought they didn't have to go into too much depth there um, to explain things away. I, I don't quite get what you mean. Can you sort of elaborate what yeah, major sure. holes you thought that were there? Well, I mean, I think that the, the fundamental hole is why did the aliens find the doctor if the whole point of the exercise was that he was going to be entirely hidden from him? What led them to that particular place in that particular time. It's certainly not the opening of the watch because they come to the, the school before the watch is opened. It's not the TARDIS because we find out in the pre-recorded message that the doctor has put the TARDIS on uh, backup and it can't be detected by the aliens. So why are they there? But first the doctor has to land, surely, before he can um, do all of this stuff. He has to land the TARDIS um, before he can shut it off into stealth mode or whatever you want to call it, where the aliens can't actually find the location of the TARDIS. Um, mm. Because in the beginning of the first episode, he was saying how, I'm a Time Lord, I'm special, they can track me out throughout the whole of time, they can sniff me out, because they're supposedly these superior hunters. I thought that was, that was explained... In itself, I can kind of get what you see, kind of get what you're saying, um, but still, I, I thought that was kind of explained away in that first sort of scene when he's talking about how they can sniff him out and find him no matter what. He's got to 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 go into hiding. 
But he lands two months before they arrive. So it's taken them two months to get there when they only had three months to live. That doesn't make them out to be great trackers. Well, <laughs> could take some time. Who knows? I mean, but um, do they travel in time as well? Maybe this is maybe two days later for them, and it's two months for the in the to- in the doctor's timeline. I I don't know. Yeah, who can say? I guess. Well, the doctor, maybe, but the doctor's oh. clearly trying to wait them out, wait the three months out. Yeah. So I don't think in their timeline. I think that at some point he says, "Well, we've been here a couple months," and that's that's said deliberately to establish that their their clock is ticking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they're not on the same timeline, then the whole thing yeah. makes no sense. That's true. But going yeah. back to the sort of hiding thing, I mean, mm-hmm. I thought that was expressive to the end of the episode when he was saying, you know, um, Baines or the Sun or whatever you want to call him was saying, you know, we found out why he went into hiding, because when the Doctor needs to be, and which is what I thought was one of the most brilliant things about the episode, is that he can be as ruthless as anything. He doesn't have to kill to be cruel and to be ruthless. He's not a second chance kind of guy. We know that. And so, you know, he went into hiding to stop himself from just completely opening a can of war pass on these guys and really you know he, that was his chance to say look I'm going to go into hiding I'm going to give you the chance to to leave me alone and if you come following me then come after me then you're going to pay um, and he went out of his way to to kind of be compassionate and, and do the right thing um, but then but when they do come and find him, and he he is then himself. Um, then they realise that that's the whole reason why he went into hiding is because, you know, he couldn't. He once he realised that that is it, the killing has stopped. Um, he was ever so cruel to them, more so than they could have been to anybody. I think. Yeah, I would agree that the second episode does provide a partial answer on that point. But it's a very strange definition of mercy, indeed, the things that he does to them. Um, well, he's not merciful at all. That's the point, I think, um, is that he gives them exactly what they want, the ability to live forever. But he gives them it in such a, a cruel way. You know, they, they're trying to extend their, their lifespan beyond this three months, which is why they need to find the Time Lord, which is why they're coming after him. Because mm-hmm. he can live forever, even a piece of that, because they can only live for three months or however long it was. This is so, the game of Rassilon. <laughs> yeah, I, I I was a bit hazy on this as well, as far as um, how these how he got these um, aliens to live. I thought just assumed that he would just let them, you know, live out their expire. lifetime and and you know expire. Yes, and yeah, that, that's guess. what I thought the point was that he was trying to do. But in the end, he just does what he could have done to begin with, which was just expel them. So I don't know why we went through the whole subterfuge. But how did he get these people, these aliens to live forever? Did he give a piece of himself? I mean, this is sort of, this was the hazy part that I... I well, that's all with. explained in a voiceover by, I believe, the Bane's character. So that stuff may be slightly inaccurate and just how they feel about the situation as opposed to what the doctor actually did to them. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that was my interpretation of it anyway, that, um, that they, that they uh, were stuck in sort of their worst nightmare forever, not able to do anything, just living out, just living sort of eternally, almost like the beast. And that was what I thought was an interesting echo to the Satan pit, was the fact that the beast was chained forever, stuck on this, this rock. Um, unable to do anything, just living and not having a life, essentially, for all eternity. Just almost like stuck in limbo, stuck in a house. Which is, from the voiceover from Baines, is what I um, I interpreted it of the situation. Okay, it's never explained how he, he allows them to live forever. Um, but that, for me, wasn't important. That It, it was more the point that he was being... He he was just being utterly cruel to them, and that is why he went into hiding in the first place. Because he was sort of protecting them from himself in a way. He was sort of ensuring that he wouldn't do anything horrible to them, because the doctor can be, uh, you know, they, all the throughout the episode they were talking about his rage and his anger and his hatred and things, and how he he, he scares himself with that and it was more a move for himself that he went into hiding than a move for them because the doctor doesn't need to fight or doesn't need to be violent to um to to scare the hell out of other people or do things that you know there's there are fates worse than death essentially i think was the point of it um is that they were they killed people yes and they were horrible and lots of people died but he never made people they never made people suffer, really. Um, whereas the doctor made them suffer. So, James, would it be your point that really this is a tragedy of a story in that the doctor ultimately fails on his mission? Yeah. But he, oh, that's he interesting. On, but I, but I he believe fails on his mission. Don't say. The, the doctor um, always um, stops himself before destroying the enemy unless that's the last resort, that he always gives them a chance to live. And, hmm. um, many and beyond that, there past, are no second chances. The, the Time Lords in the past have, with time loops and things like that, they, they prefer, because they, have, they feel some kind of morality that they cannot take life themselves in many cases, they prefer to just imprison their, you know, and, and that brings up a, a, uh, a debate whether uh, which is worse, um, putting someone to death and ending their the cruelty, or letting them live and then let let them live in misery for the rest of their days. I mean that's you know, that's a, that's a question that that religion and philosophy has, has tackled for thousands of years. Mm. Uh, and the doctors always prefer to take the road where he lets someone live, and I, and I think that's that's something that we see in this. That's that's something that's happened in the past. Unless he was pushed too far, and and someone forces his hand, in all those cases, it's usually because his own life is in danger that he chooses to end someone else's life. And I do like in this episode um, something that I mentioned in one of the past podcasts, where the doctor mentioned to Martha about a regeneration. Here we have someone he asked. Again, uh, similar to Girl in the Fireplace, asks someone to come and be his companion who says no. So just as many people have said no as have, has, has have said yes. 
more, Actually, more, Donna, more have said, yeah. Donna said yeah. no as well. Yeah, yeah. And another thing that's reinforced in this episode is what we saw in Rose with Clive stating that a constant companion to the doctor is death, and the matron had made that observation that the, the doctor chose this time period to hide in, and that caused all these innocent people to lose their lives eventually. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Which is, again, why he failed in his mission, essentially, is that he was hoping he could hide it out and they'd never find him, and he no one would die and... Uh, and everyone would be safe and well, and then he could just hop back into TARDIS and carry on with his adventures. And, of course, it never happens like that, or very rarely happens like that. Um, and what kind of a story would that be? Very true. <laughs> he hit well, three months, and, and then he went on. Well, this is it. <laughs> it would make very boring. John Smith in the cave. <laughs> for a dramatic, for a dramatic uh, effect, it definitely wouldn't you know, go nowhere fast. It obviously <laughs> The story relies on certain things in order to explore what would happen if the Doctor were human. Um, yeah. And in his own skeptical defense, he, he says, well, that's too close to what happens in Superman 2 for his, for his comfort. Yeah, yeah the, the, the other point I make, too, is that it's handled very differently in the book, and I think in a superior way in the book, because he really does just sort of ambiguously decide, I'm going to change into a human, and it's not clear why, but he, he voluntarily does it. Well, he did and it to understand why Benny was so heartbroken uh, over the, the character's death from the previous story. That's speculation. And, I mean, it's certainly something that Paul Cornell says probably is what happened. But if you read the book, you don't necessarily know that. And certainly if you read the book independently of the rest of the New Adventures line, you wouldn't get that at all. Um, but nevertheless, he does make the optional choice to do it without being under the threat of a... Uh, a force that's looking after him, and and the the plot is sustained by uh, the Overtides coming in and figuring out that there's this Time Lord essence floating around, and the whole thing is chasing the ball, and that's that's a better I think mo- plot motivator than this hiding thing, which is I think still sort of clumsily handled because they don't they don't keep their eye on the watch the way they kept their eye on the ball in the book. Well. Of course, no, because it was a cricket ball in the book, right? Um, but right. in a, in a way, I think that the Doctor made his choice. It was his his decision to become human again. It was his option to do that. He didn't have to do that. He could have um, he could have destroyed their ship um, in much in the same way that he did um, at the end of the episode just obviously not as cleverly, or somehow stumbled onto the ship and said, okay, right, here I am. But the way he did it was superbly clever at the end of the episode, I thought. I know um, Sean Huckster has mentioned that he didn't like that. He thought that they would have noticed, oh, yeah, you're just flipping loads of switches to blow the ship up. But I think that they were so um, compelled by the fact that they finally had what they wanted, they or thought they did anyway, Um that that gave the, the chance for the Doctor to strike. Also, they they thought he was just another stupid human, not... Um, yeah, they, essentially they thought that they had won, and and that gave him the opportunity to pounce. But I, I, he, the point that I'm making is, is that the Doctor could have 
easily have destroyed them. But he wanted he didn't want to do that. He wanted to give them a chance. And when he realized well, when they didn't take the hint and leave and leave him alone, that's when he pounced. And then that's when it's sort of this no second chance kind of guy who realizes, right, that's enough now. I've given you your opportunity, and now that's it. Now I'm going to kick your ass, sort of a thing, <laughs> for want of a better metaphor. Um, but I don't know, because I haven't read the book, to be fair. But still, I, I just didn't I just didn't see the gaping plot holes here. I mean, other than the fact that... Um, that this this pre-science of Tim was never really explained or explored. Maybe you don't have to. Maybe that's it's good to have a bit of a mystery there, of course. But also how I think it's been highlighted how how did the Doctor make them live forever? Or certainly that's the vibe that I got. But that's not necessarily the case. They could have easily have died, as as Taris has pointed out. But other than that, I thought the episode was pretty much perfect in every way. And I adored it, and just everything about this was just so right. And to do that off the back of the previous um, episode, um, Human Nature, is just astonishing. I Because everybody had set the bar high, and everybody had such high expectations, and for me, they were easily fulfilled. Well, as, as far as the watch goes, I know there was some discussion about why, you know, why doesn't Martha hold on to the watch, and uh, I think it's a valid question. Um, I probably, you know, would have resolved it in telling, in, in um, you know, exploring the story where the watch had to stay with, in proximity of John Smith to keep the um, the veil over John Smith that he's John Smith. That somehow the watch was expending some sort of energy. And when um, Timmy took the watch away, I thought they could have explored the the. The the, um, the aspect that John Smith was slipping away as well that maybe more of the Doctor was emerging and and more you know um, aspects of the Doctor would come to the surface um, and I think that would have worked well in reasoning why this the, the the watch had to stay within a certain proximity of John Smith but they didn't really go in that direction they, um, so I I know it's just um, my own way of thinking about it but obviously it, it didn't pan out that way. I think there's a whole bunch of different, uh, I think all, all these points I'm hearing are, are good about little, I, I wouldn't consider them plot holes myself, uh, but little things where a one-line explanation could could in fact fill the hole and, and then smooth it out. But I think if you get into too many of those, you get away from what the story is really being about. Yeah. With lots yeah. of technical explanations of how this works and how that works. And, and, and that's just not as interesting. And yeah, I think it's... Doctor Who. Yeah, nothing yeah, I, got in the way of me enjoying the story, or 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 nothing really took me out of it. Where I was like, oh well, I just can't accept it, or I can't buy that. And, or, yeah, there was nothing major there. I thought. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the biggest issue for me was that this episode was two minutes shorter than the previous one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and for the first time, Doctor Who was shorter than Doctor Who Confidential. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I. So, uh, Mike, what did you think? I, I know we were going around, and I, yeah. I, we, we kind of got sidetracked there. Well, not surprisingly, I, I thought it was amazing. I thought it was... Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I can't decide whether or not I like part one or part two more. Uh, certainly, it's, it's at least as good as, as part one, I guess. Um, no, it was, it was a real magical... It, 
good feeling episode. Even mm-hmm. uh, I think perhaps good feeling. It's very emotional. I mean, it's very powerful now. It's 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 uh, uh, you know it sort of pushes the right buttons. And then the, yeah. maybe maybe that's a good thing, and maybe it isn't sometimes. And and you even get it when you're seeing the dark side of the Doctor. You, you feel it. And I love the idea of watching Doctor Who that you you feel something from the episode. It's not just uh, connect the dots uh, plot. Uh, but uh, but a story where you know with all those other great production values and great directing and stuff we've had all season uh, comes together with a really emotional interesting story, and I think it is you know in some ways it is more about just that that, that interesting story of the doctor and the and I, I, I think I said last week how the you know the, his his presence is made that much bigger by him not being there, and yeah I think that. For for the viewer, I think uh, for me that's far more what the story's about than than about what the doctor may or may not learn about himself. Because because I don't think the doctor actually learns anything in this story. I think he ends up being more or less the same character he was before. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that was echoed in the fact that at the end he says, you know, to um, the nurse, I forget her name. Yeah, but anyway, but that's exactly says, the, the bit I'm thinking. Come of, with yeah. me. You know, she, he doesn't understand that she doesn't want that because she, he essentially has just killed the man that she loved, and he doesn't see the problem with that. He's like, yeah. well, you can come along with me anyway. You can have a laugh, and and that's just like so alien to her, I guess. goes right over his head. You view yeah, exactly. it all. You view the doctor as being selfish in that now. And not only is he selfish and did not learn anything, his uh, response to the family of blood was crueler than probably it would have been originally had he did not decide to uh, hide from them and give them their second chance. Yeah. Once once again, we're seeing the, that's the kind of man I am, 10th Doctor. Yeah. That we were promised way back in Christmas Invasion. But I think he did learn something, and I think that shows at the very, very end with with him and, and Martha. And I think that he he learned more about Martha's feelings, and um, and I think that their relationship has grown and and strengthened as well because of um, of the story. And I that's think that's true. That's shown at the end. But I don't think he really learned anything about human nature, ironically, um, despite the title of the episode. I, I I'm don't not sure. I think he learned more about Martha, certainly. Um, but I don't but think... I, I think whatever John Smith was, all his thoughts and, and feelings are now contained within the Doctor. I, I, that's how I read it at the end. Yeah, it, he did say, of course, that, that he's still in me, but if he truly appreciated... Um, human nature and, and, and everything, that he never would have asked the nurse to join him. He never would have said to Joan, Joan, that was her name, you know, come with me. He Because he would have completely understand that he he is a guy who looks like the man who she loved. But essentially, everything that she loved is now dead. Although he's, John Smith is part of the Doctor, could you imagine, like, um, if your boyfriend or girlfriend dumps you, and then comes back in a year and says, hey, I've changed, I'm a completely new person, why don't we make another go of it? You would be like, what? No but, way. But, but James, that does happen, and, and they're both human, and I think it's it's part of human nature, and I just, I don't think that um, me, that means, if, if you do do that, that means you're not human, or, or you didn't learn anything about being human, because they're, they're people that live their entire lives and have relationships 
problems and, and, and still don't get it or don't understand the, the whole complexities of relationships. And, 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 um, and it, each one of us are individuals, and perhaps a, a different individual m- may have um, jumped on board the TARDIS thinking that maybe there's a glimmer of hope of, of, of rekindling that John Smith that's inside the Doctor. Perhaps it's wrong to then say human nature, but perhaps I think what I'm getting at is that he didn't learn anything from John necessarily about if he knew who John was and knew who Joan was, then he would have never have asked her to hop in the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Well, um, in 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 the selfish vein, uh, Joan latched on to uh, John Smith because she lost her husband and she was husband shopping. Well, that's it. But, and when you she know, realized that she would never lock in on him, she says, no, I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to go find a husband. Yeah, but she could. She also is being selfish by saying she made the hint of, you know, will you ever change back? Mm-hmm. And the doctor is just, not only does he not change back into John Smith, which is what she wants, she really, really deeply wants, obviously, but then she, he has the audacity to say, well, you can still come with me. You can, we can still go travelling together, um, but with me and not with John Smith, you know, not with the man you love, but I'd be quite happy to fill those shoes, sort of a thing. Um, he, also, sorry. So he also makes that invitation uh, to Joan without even considering how that would impact on Martha, yeah. who is presumably yeah. sitting back in the TARDIS right now, waiting for him to come back. He did the girl in the fireplace to Rose. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, he Which goes on uh, hanging on while he goes and and uh, and courts Madame de Pompadour. <laughs> and I, th- I think that all reinforces the alienness and the, the detachment from, you know, how the, how how human minds work. <laughs> yeah, that's well, what, that was my point, Mike. That was what I was trying to say. Thank I you. I think my wife would say that he's just being a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Taras, what, what, um, we haven't heard from you yet as far as your uh, appraisal. Well, I thought this was an excellent episode, and uh, the combination of the two episodes in this story are by far the, the best so far of this series. And uh, I thought it had all the elements of a classic Doctor Who story with the addition of the Doctor exploring what it's like not to be a Time Lord. And, uh, of, of course, uh, the first half of the this particular episode had a bit too much running around and uh, not enough substance to it, but that's what Classic Who was all about anyway. So I think it was one of the best stories of the revival and definitely the best so far of uh, this series. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to um, get something. There have been people waiting in the queue for uh, almost like 45 minutes now, so <laughs> maybe we should get some, Let's not some keep of them hanging back. on, Lewis. Yeah, and um, we'll we'll hear from them, and then we'll give our old uh, TARDIS grown ratings. So first one up here is um, Lonely Angel 10. Hello. 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 Hi. <laughs> All right, calm down, fellas. <best <laughs> <laughs> woman. Well, How are you? 
Where, where are you calling from, and, and, and um, do, you, do you have a first name that you prefer to use, or should we just call you Lonely oh, Angel? I, I prefer you call me Meredith. That's my first name. But Lonely okay. Angel. Meredith. No, Lonely Angel 10 is my screen name. And I also go by uh, DT Doc for me on uh, Sci-Fi Network. The, uh, Very good. Yeah, the and Sci-Fi Network forum. But I haven't gone on that one for a while. And where are you calling from? Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Right around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think of the family of blood um i really liked this episode out of um that one was a lot better than the uh part one mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it just which, seems to uh, uh, which is a, a grand statement to make since uh the first one was it seemed to be uh, an incredible episode and i thought it had you know a, they raised the bar and had huge shoes to fill so, you know i felt at the beginning of this episode, well, there's nowhere this can go except for down, but I'm glad it didn't. It just kind of stayed consistent. Well, everything that was disappointing in the first episode seemed to sort of not really matter when I got to watch last night's episode. Um, I just, I kind of was able to see uh, the character of John Smith a lot better. You know, I didn't really think that it was a separate character until watching uh, last night's episode. He just seemed too much like David Tennant pretending to be the doctor in a different body or something. I don't know. It just it just felt a lot different. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. It just he didn't really seem to be taking on that um, persona until the second episode. Right. Okay. So that what else didn't you like about the the first episode that you thought um, got better in the second? Yeah. I mean, it just he wasn't really. You know, I think the acting really came out in the second episode a lot better than it did in the first. Okay. Um. And aside from that, I mean, it was just, I mean, the the action was a lot better. And, um, you know, I, I never really liked the family of blood to begin with, but I just didn't really pay attention to that. Right. The, uh, the little girl was a lot, um, she was probably the best one out of the whole family. The other ones were just, I guess the complaint last week was that they were wooden, and that was really true. Right. You didn't think, but didn't you think the woodenness was part of their um, sort of, Scariness, for want of a better word. I mean, yeah. I guess that it was more car- well, it was cartoonish. Right. It just felt put on and very cartoonish, and I just didn't. I didn't really believe it. I mean, that made it feel more like a kids' show, as opposed. Mm-hmm. To, I understand it's a family show and if it's a kids' show and all that, but it really had that. You know, it it just wasn't. I thought it it played out too much like a you know like a bad horror movie or something um, where they right. Could, where they could have sort of made it into a, um, you know, like a stronger, like, sci-fi thing. But that right, kind of okay. fits in, though, with a uh, a race of beings that inhabit what are essentially cadavers that also have soldiers that are scarecrows. So it kind of, like, fits into that uh, general uh, setting. Well, I mean, I think even the scarecrows acted better than the family of life. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly, you know, they were just set up to to be the goons of you know the uh, the aliens or whatever it was supposed to be. The aliens, I mean, even in I mean, part one, it was like when Bane was a ship. For me, it was like that moment where the ship comes down with um, you know in in ET where Elliot sees the ship. Or I haven't seen the movie in a long time, but it had that sort of element where mm-hmm. he's, yeah. he's like some you know in, in the woods and the ship comes down and he doesn't know what it is. It just I don't know. I, I couldn't take it. 
Okay. okay. That's fair enough, I guess. It's. Uh, I mean, I, I personally really like the, the Family of Blood, and I I thought that their woodenness was almost like their sense of humour. They had this kind of very dodgy sense of humour um, throughout the whole episode, and that's for me why I like them so much, and the fact that they were so cold and... But every each to their own. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. If uh, if we didn't like them, then that's fine by me. <laughs> well, it's also interesting to see, you know, that that there are there are things that that don't sit well with every viewer. You know, like that that, that there's that that woodenness to those characters. I've complained about things like that in past episodes, and I didn't in this one. And, you know, if for some reason this one worked for me for other reasons. It's curious to see how that happens because they're, those characters being wooden, for me in this episode, were acceptable. But in, in certain things, like in 42, I seem to have a problem with the lack of character development. And, I, I you know, there's a part of why we analyze these things and, and do the podcast is now I'm going to stop and, and sit back for a second and say, okay, what, what separated these baddies from, those, from that episode? You know, what, why is it acceptable for me to like the woodenness? Of, of these particular characters, I, I found them to be there was a family of blood to be just you know and they're just they're 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 a product of the entire story hinges on getting the doctor to be human and mm-hmm. Paul Carnell has to figure out you know how do I put him in that situation where does the threat come how long does he stay there and mm-hmm. obviously these are all products of that the the, the question for this story. For the for the most part, becomes when he becomes human, does it work for us? The, does the, the things that he explores while being human does it work? And that's really, I think, what what when someone analyzes this episode and says, "Do I like it or don't like it?" Does that work for you? It works for me. It may not work for everybody. Yeah. When he becomes human, is it believable? Is it is it what you expected of the doctor if he became human? It was believable in the second episode. It wasn't believable in the first one. Right. Yeah, I, it, well, he had more weaknesses. He showed more weakness in, in the second episode. Absolutely. Yeah, and that made him maybe seem more human. And plus, there was also, I guess, more time to develop his character. Um, you saw him falling in love with Joan and right. everything else, so you believed that he really was human and sort of a separate character to the Doctor. Um, plus, there was kind of a lot to digest, I guess, in the first episode, and after you sort of mulled it over for a week or whatever, then it gives you time to appreciate um, the story and what's been going on and everything else, I guess. So, Well, another thing that this episode had was John Smith's vision of him living his lifetime and, and aging. We got I thought that was incredible. The, um, um, kudos to the makeup work there, what they did with David Tennant. I mean, he... Um, I mean, it's not the first time we've seen the Doctor age, but it's, um, it's well, it's not the Doctor. It's John Smith. <laughs> that was a little bit of a nightmare for me. Hello? I, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that bit was a nightmare for me, because I, I never want to see David Tennant age. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder what you, what you meant, but fair enough. <laughs> well, see, I thought that was a great, uh, just as far as what I anticipated seeing the preview from last week, I liked the way that we had a chance to peek at what it would have been like had he lived his entire life, but it actually... It was necessary to the story, definitely. 
Yeah. But it's it's always been a desire for the Doctor, at least since the Ninth Doctor. And in fact, going back to um, a previous Paul Cornell story, um, Father's Day, where you know the Ninth Doctor was um, admiring what it is to be an ordinary human, how great that would be. Uh, you know, if you remember that scene in the church with and. Um, I, I think yeah, two a.m. meeting, trying to get a taxi, that sort of a thing is what you. Yeah. On it. I think that it's, yeah. The fact exactly. that it's a terrific life, and that he, the Doctor, could never have a life like that, which is why humans are so fantastic and brilliant, and how he sort of craves it, but sort of detested at the same time. Even in um, the Impossible Planet, Rose mentions to the Doctor, "Oh, now you're going to have to get a mortgage and settle down," which he just. <laughs> hates the idea of, and it's kind of this love-hate relationship. It's something that he's not used to. He's just used to traveling and, and doing whatever he wants and not having to answer to anybody, and I guess if he was human, then he would have to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, well, but thank are, you. are there any points that you, else other points that you'd like to bring up, Meredith, uh, before we right move now. on? God. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to the rest of the season, and um, I just wanted to thank you all. And thank you. Sorry about that. I um, just wanted to thank you all for the um, the podcast, and I've enjoyed um, chatting online. And um, you know, I'm definitely going to tune in again. So oh, cool. You're you're always welcome to come back, and we enjoyed having your input here and. Um, and you're always welcome to um, chime in at any time. Okay, Please do. We need, we need more girls. Get more girls <laughs> on here. Come on. <laughs> all right. Check you all later. All right. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. We're going next. Is uh, West has been waiting in the wings as well, so we're going to hear from West now. Hello, West. Hello, everybody. Good to hear from you. How are you? Pretty good. Um... I'll just have to say that most everybody's pretty much covered everything that I wanted to say at this point. So I'll just, just throw some observations out. It, it's, it's increasingly surprising me how much Doctor Who is making me feel more emotional than it ever did when I was a kid. I mean, like, there were certain points in the episode, especially when John Smith was trying to justify his existence, that I was, like, actually feeling like I was going to well up and start crying at one point. So, you know, kudos to Tennant on his acting, because I'll tell you what, I was, not something I'm expecting from Doctor Who. Mm. And just to remind everyone, Wes is calling from Florida in the U.S., so it's um, good to have you back. On Wes has been a, a regular um, caller in, so um, good to have you and back. Would, Wes, would you uh, would you give a plug for your uh, podcast coming up after this one? Yeah, I can do that. It's it's the CIA, which is Celestial Intervention Agency, and and it's kind of like open forum. Or Doctor Who, but I think this week we're going a little bit out of the realm and talking about its, uh, I would say its, what, first cousin, which would be Blake Seven. <laughs> first cousin. <laughs> well, I mean, if you if you tune into an episode of Blake Seven in the middle, you might think you're actually in Doctor Who and just waiting for the Doctor to show up if you didn't know any better. So, I mean, it, it, the production values are the same, and, you know, Harry Nation's the godfather, so... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we're going to talk about Blake 7 today after this podcast, so if anybody's interested, come on over. Um, other than that, this episode this week was fantastic, I thought. Um, you know, as far as two-parters to me, other than um, Empty Child Doctor Dances, is definitely the best two-parter of the series. Definitely the best two-parter of Tenants run so far. 
Mm. Yeah. Well, um, any any other comments? Did you want to give a um, your Tardis Throne ratings? I'd have to say uh, five out of five for this particular episode, and the same for both together. Mm. Good man. Yeah. What we like to hear. <laughs> There's Mr. Saxon chiming in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I um I got Mr. Saxon to join my um MySpace account this week and <laughs> he told me it was a masterful decision. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> like I don't it. know what that means, but <laughs> I don't know either. Let's let's wait and see, I guess. 'Cause we've I guess we've only got um what is next week's blink, and then it's the final two-parter for the the series. So. Well, then you took after blink. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yes, we're I was getting ahead of myself. Thanks, thankfully, there's four <laughs> episodes left. That's fun by Let's not rush it any quicker than. Yeah, two weeks from now we got Captain Jack again, which could be cool. Very cool. I tell you what, man. Something no one has really mentioned though is. Um, the the trailer for next week's episode. Come on, I mean, even though it's the the quote love and monsters type episode where the Doctor and Martha aren't in it, the concept looks really cool. I think I blinked and missed it. Now I'm on a case. Did anybody notice oh. as the sting of the closing credits that it was very uh, it was a little bit different than any of the things they had used in the past, or is it just me? Maybe I hadn't noticed it before. You talking about the the, the music thing as goes into the next week's coming attraction? Yes. Yes, I noticed it was different as well. That it was, yeah, uh, me too. Very yep. old school Doctor Who sounding. Yeah. Um, Especially also, with the... Um... I wanted to point out to, I believe it's, I think it's either Dave or Taras who has the um, the stills of the, of the uh, Book of Impossible Things. Um posted the official Doctor Who website from the BBC has um, an you know, animation when you click on the main page has the book flipping and there's a really great clear still of the page with all the doctors on it and you can actually make out the doctors a lot better on, on the main page. Oh yeah, it's in our forum. Someone had uh, posted the, uh, a, a screenshot of it and we've been um, thoroughly analyzing it all week long. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, the, it's the, great. Yeah, the, the, the main page, like I said, just ha- happens to have a, um, a a still that I you know I hadn't seen. I mean, I don't know whether they where they took it from as far as uh, obviously they have better access than we do. We have to pull it off the screen. Yeah, check check out our forums, Ken. There's uh, two threads on it. Uh, one I'll wait that right now. Okay. Well, you can wait till after we're done with the podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> I got you know, multiple multiple use technology here. All right. Well, Wes, thank you so much. And um, once again, uh, your the CIA podcast will be following this, and will be um, Lake Seven will be the topic of discussion. Right. Everybody, come on over. It'll be a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun last week, actually. So. Definitely. I will. Uh, I will be there this week. They can't. Awesome. Mean, you mentioned Blake Seven. It's like uh, I'm like a uh, like an agate. <laughs> I'm there. Cool. So we're looking. We're definitely looking forward to that. And uh, James was there last week. So if you haven't gone and downloaded it, download it. It's fun. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Wes. No yeah, problem. Cheers, Wes, Mike. Uh, we have um we have someone that had called that that called into the show, but uh, he or she is not on 
the talk cast uh, talk show client, so uh, I'm not sure if they want to chime in or not. So uh, if you can just bear with us, we're just gonna see if we um, the, the person's uh, screen name is uh, Fritter, and I just want we just want to find out whether or not he or she wants to uh, chat or not. Fritter, are you there? Hello. Hi. I'm hey, Fritter. Oh, hi. Uh, did you want to uh, chime in or not? Yes, yes, I did, actually. Um, I, this is the first time I've used this box shoe client. I've been listening to the Poshock, like, uh, as it gets to, my, gets to my iTunes, so I've never really logged in, so I was just trying to figure out how to do it today. Oh, okay, because, yeah, because normally you would run the client, and you'd be able to put yourself in the queue, and I, I see that um, there's, like, a little icon that appears on the um, in, in the software, in the application, and, and, and it's grayed out, saying that you're not... Um, connects to the client, so I didn't think you were able to put yourself in the queue. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for finding me. Um, yeah, this is Eric the Librarian in Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. okay. And you, uh, you I haven't in the past. Yeah, yeah. I haven't haven't written in a while, but I've been following everything uh, as it's been coming out, and I've been watching them, uh, watching the episodes the minute I get home on Saturday, and. Um, uh, I just wanted to say about this two-part uh, two-part episode set was that it was uh, it reminded me a lot of the Last Temptation of Christ, uh, mm, specifically yeah. because of that scene at the end where he has to make that choice: Am I going to stay human? Am I going to turn back into the Doctor? You know, and the, that really sets up an interesting parallel in my mind uh, because that's the same choice that. You know, Jesus makes in the film and the and the and the novel. You know, am I going to be just a regular man, or am I going to fulfill this destiny? And so the choice really was, for in my mind, was what is the doctor going to do? Is he going to be this super, uh, you know, godlike being, or is he going, you know, and continue on and sacrifice his? life with this woman and the potential to have this family and children and to live the day-by-day life, or is he going to go back to, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, that was just so, so powerful to me, and especially with the, with the parallel to that particular book was just, wow, so, um, I was really, I was really moved by that, um, and, um, I wanted to say a little bit about um, some of the commentary I've heard from uh, you guys about previous episodes, too, because I haven't been commenting. I've been really trying to not be deep into the forums because I wanted to, I want to see these episodes, like, fresh every time that they come out. And um, when I first saw the, the human Dalek step out of, you know, Dalek sex thing in uh, Daleks in Manhattan, I was mm-hmm. shocked. I was really, I was really honestly shocked. I didn't know it was coming, and uh, I was, I was, I was stunned at the end of that episode, and I couldn't wait to see what was going to happen next. And it was a little bit of a letdown in the end, but, but, but still, that that shock value was there for me. I didn't see the Radio Times thing. I didn't pay attention to what was happening mm-hmm. in the forums. I just knew that it was going to be a Dalek episode, and I didn't know what they were going to do. So I was really surprised and. You know, same thing, I mean, uh, with 42, I was, I really liked that episode a whole, whole lot, you know, and, be, and because I wasn't really paying attention to, like, the science of any of it. I was just so enwrapped in the story, 
you know, that was going on, like, the, the rush and the adrenaline of it all. I mean, I remember sitting there after it was over, like, with my roommate, who had watched it with me, and we were like, whoa, <laughs> at the end of that story, because it was just so, so intense and so moving and so driving the whole time. So I, maybe, it, maybe it's just because I'm, I'm still a new viewer and I'm, and I'm you know, still, still, you know, don't have a whole lot of baggage from, like, previous previous uh, seasons and stuff, but I, I feel like um, I feel like this whole season has been really incredible for me, and so and this was just like a crowning moment, too. So that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, well, cool. I, I think this, this series um, this year has been um, fairly uh, more consistent with itself, at least my, I mean, there, there might have been a couple lows, but it just wasn't as drastic as a roller coaster as perhaps last series was. Yeah. Um, but getting back to your um, comparison to um, The Last Temptation of Christ, I know uh, Paul Cornell had made a reference in last week's um, um, Confidential where, you know, he tells this, he talks about this story and how the story's been told over and over again, and um, he mentions uh, Jesus there as well. And, um, you know, I know he didn't mention Superman 2, though, but I'm sure... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure it, it's it's... It's just as valid, and I think we probably lost Darth again. Darth, wake up! No, he actually does mention Superman too in both the confidential and the preface oh. to the book. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Good to hear. It's good to hear that you're still with us, Darth. So and I believe gonna... the ebook is back up on the BBC website. It now. is. Yeah. I, I, forums. You can. Um, that's. Thank you, Teresa. That's a great point to mention. Anyone um, that hasn't read the book. Uh, they took it down because they, uh, they didn't want people, you know, spoiling the story for themselves. And now it's back up, and you can uh, download it as a PDF file or, um, or or use it on your PDA, and you can read the, the book that's no longer in print by Paul Carnell, Human Nature. And Lewis, on the official site, where would I? Where would one find that? If you go to, um, I know it's in the classic uh, series in there. If, if you go um, to the news section, evil. there's a link to it in the news section. If you go to our site on the, um, there's the BBC News on the um, in the block on the left side. Actually, and here it, it says is, um, on the classic series. It says read the ebook. Yes. Well, guys, I'll be uh, bidding adieu at this point. Oh yes. All right, mate. A video meet to go to. NY, we said hello and. Uh, yes. I don't know. I'm new here. <laughs> Somebody was just asking me directions. <laughs> <laughs> well, enjoy the, uh, the the meetup. Okay. Yes. Take care, Taras, and uh, All right. hopefully you can join us next week. Okay. Goodbye. Cheers. Goodbye, mate. All right. Well, uh, Eric, I want to thank you for your contribution, and we're going yeah. to get to others. So, well, um, yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. And uh, what? Yeah, you, did you give it a scrum rating? Um. Oh, it's totally a five out of five. Absolutely. All right. Yay. Yay. As James would say, good man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Thank you. All right. We're going to go next in our queue is um, none other than Dave. Hello, Dave. Yeah, you're sounding a bit like a Cyberman. Oh, crap, yeah. I don't have trouble getting into uh, Israel and uh, talk shit about 
I've done this anyway. Uh, lots of things have been oh, turned on my phone. Uh, I've been. Um, I'll uh, so suggest that maybe turn down your gain a bit. Yeah. You, you, you seem to be peeking out. How's that? Is that going better? Uh, a little okay, bit. Now okay, how's that? Mm, not much better. Can you turn <laughs> off the automatic gain? Just to remind everyone, Dave's calling from Manchester in the UK, and we always appreciate your contributions and feedback. And uh, Dave's very active in our forums, and uh, we again appreciate Dave's participation. And as I, always. I did just see Dave's uh, posting uh, uh, still from the Flash player from the official site, and it's just good work. Bravo. Yes. So, um, more people going to go. You, Lewis. Yes. We have, um, and um, I'm going to get the name wrong again. I, I fumbled on this last time. Uh, Lebedkin, and hello. That's correct. You actually got it right. Oh, I got it right. Wow. <laughs> that's my last name. Good job, But that's also hard to say. So we had this conversation last week as well. And if How I recall, you? you're, you're calling from Israel. 
I am indeed, yes. Oh, welcome back. Thank you. Well, what a fabulous episode. There's so yeah. much good about this. We've been talking about it for, what, an hour and a half? And you still haven't got <laughs> all the good bits. <laughs> We're still like, we could talk about an hour easily to go over everything that was great about it. There was nothing mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. Completely lived up to its um, the the setup from last week. Yeah, couldn't agree. Yeah, I was kind of worried that it might not to, but it it actually did kind of. Um, I I wasn't disappointed. All right. Has anybody noticed a running thread this season of blood and, and flesh and? Yes. Yeah, I think Tarras had made a point of it. Yeah. Someone made a point of it last week. Yes. Well, does anybody have any theories about what's it about, or is it, is it a bad wolf or? Just I a, don't know. A coincidence. It could be a coincidence. I know, obviously, Smith and Jones. You had um, the herbivore was um, a blood-sucking <laughs> creature, and um, you know. But there was also other themes being played in this um, series as well. That, uh, not so much in in, the, in this two-parter, but the whole like devil and angels um, um, thematic stuff was going on as well in a few episodes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, and the Dalek two part as well, I just realized what Right. Mm-hmm. It's taken me a good it took me a good year to warm up to David Tennant's doctor. But uh, I, from studying this year I think he's really just hit the ball hit the ground running. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought this first year it was a bit too light and bouncy a lot of the times, but I, I finally realized in this episode that he's he's playing the character who acts like light and bouncy because he's really just so old and seen so much and and hardened. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the only way he can really go through life, I think, now. Yeah, I, I think Mike has um, sometimes um, crystallized it, saying that you had, like, two different doctors with David Tennant. You had the No Second Chances doctor, and then you have the the Big Red Button doctor. Yeah, right, and, exactly. Uh, and, and I think that's, um, we're seeing more of the No Second Chances doctor in this series so far. For the most part. Right, right. Well, I think that's my entire review. Five Tardis Groans, brilliant. Great. Good stuff. Yeah, thank Very you quick so reviews much. this week, because everybody just says it's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you. Bye. Bye. Right, take care. See you later. Thanks again. Okay, we're going to our next in that queue, which I believe, if I recall correctly, is Diane or DM Walling. Walling? Yeah. Hello? Hello. Hey, Diane. Come. Good to have you on board. God, I, I, I almost hate to comment because I did not like the episode at all. Uh, we oh, we, we like to have opposing yeah. viewpoints. Yes, it definitely. Was, it's, it's, I've been trying to come up with a way to, you know, express all the disappointment I felt in this episode. And I... It's just funny. I listen to this love fest going on here that you say <laughs> absolutely the same episode. <laughs> well, you absolutely hated and savaged forty two, which I found was more enjoyable than this episode. And really? The only, wow. The only think, the only yeah. episode I liked least than these two was Evolution of the Daleks, which I don't I don't wow. even want to go there. <laughs> yeah, that's not that could take a whole episode. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> You know, there were so many things that were good about it. The acting was good. The production values were good. The costuming were good. The extras were good. You know, the setting and the way they set it up and the way they touched on the the whole period thing and, you know, the racism and the classism. That was all wonderful. But the the story was just 
rubbish. <laughs> and the thing, the thing that bothered me the most was John Smith. It's like, what a wuss. This, through this whole second episode, he basically did nothing. And, you know, at, at the very beginning, he, they had, you know, both Martha and, and Jane at gunpoint, and he has to decide, and he doesn't, and it's Martha who has to take over. And then even then, you know, she's telling him, it's like, get everybody out of here, and he's still just standing there like an idiot. It's Jane who pushes everybody out of the, out of the hall. But even and, Martha says when, they finally, when she finally escapes, God, you're rubbish as a human. Those are exact yeah. words. Yeah, he was. He was terrible. He couldn't. He was indecisive. He couldn't do anything. The the scene in the courtyard where all the boys are shooting. It's like you know we're talking little kids, and they had no problem stepping up, even though they were scared. And he just stood there and watched. And it was just, you know, where where's the doctor? Why wasn't there at least something? I mean, even if he was human, it took out all the alienness. But it still should have had his personality. He still should have been you know, brave and, and step up, and, and he didn't do any of that. But and maybe then when he came... A... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that maybe that was the point. Maybe that's why it was so scary, because the doctor wasn't there. It was this other guy, completely almost opposite character to um, to the doctor. John Smith is the complete opposite, almost, which is why I thought it was quite ironic at the end of the episode, where the doctor asked, Joan, if she wants to come along with him and travel with him. But anyway, go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to, to interrupt. Well, no, and, and and that was the thing, too. Even when he came back being the doctor, he was an insensitive jerk. You know, yeah. he, had to have, he had to have understood that, you know, she felt something for this guy, and he's now gone. And he's like, well, hey, why don't we just go traveling? And I was like, yeah. no. <laughs> and he, he totally disregarded Martha's feelings in it. I know somebody mentioned that before. But, uh... You know, it's like I'm just glad that she was there to step up because she came out the hero. That she actually yeah. took a stand and, and had to take over because he was useless. Yeah. Um, but but it, for me, just, I thought that was the point of, of it uh, myself. But um, I can understand your frustration with it because um, it's completely different to what you would expect. Well, obviously he was hiding. I mean, the, the TARDIS um, came up with this John Smith uh, character or, or personality so that it wouldn't be like the Doctor at all. But at the same time, perhaps if you go back to last week's episode with the whole thing with the cricket ball and the piano, maybe you know if we had more of the Doctor's subconscious just emerging without John Smith's um, knowledge, you know, conscious knowledge, maybe that would have appeased. Um, yeah, well, that's, that's the same. They hinted at it the last episode because he's having dreams, and it's like, oh, you know, I was this adventurer, and I went places and did things, and, you know, and then, then when he has to step up, he, he couldn't access that part. Yeah, he he didn't even recognize the TARDIS or uh, his own drawings, or maybe he was he, just in denial, I don't know, you know, when he, did, yeah. when he finally does see the TARDIS. But it was just, it was just very, very dissatisfying. Uh, you know, and then the whole, the thing with the end, you know, when he imprisoned them all, it, it was creepy, but it didn't really make any sense. You know, it's like I, they, they didn't explain thoroughly how that, how that they were able to live forever now when, 
they established in the beginning that they were only going to live for three months. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's a plot hole. But I'll agree with you there. That is definitely. Yeah, I was a little hole. mystified about that too. You know, and, yeah. and because the doctor has this ability to make anyone live forever, then he doesn't necessarily have to be the lonely doctor. He can any companion that he wants to, you know, give. Well, I guess Rassilon would come in, you know, about his lessons of mortal, you know, immortality and. But yeah, and it was there. There were things that were nice, but. It seemed like they were doing too many stories all at once. There was Tim's story, there was the family stories, there was John Smith's story, and they didn't—they didn't all hang well together. Right. It, you know, it, it wasn't—it didn't feel cohesive. It didn't make sense. You know, they—they they could have filled in holes better. You know, and done away with with some of the the chase scenes. Oh, now we're running here. Now we're running back and. It it just none of, none of the stories were served well. I thought, and and like I said, I, I I was disappointed. At most, I could give it a a three and a half. Okay. So fair enough. We we love hearing everyone's opinions. Everyone doesn't have to echo our own thoughts, and, and we I, and you I know I, we I welcome that. With the with the two ladies so far, um, being the most critical on the story, which is interesting. See that. I don't know. I'm not saying that there's a definite pattern there, but it's interesting that that uh, it's not playing well with the female viewers. And I'm, so I'm, now I got to go make my wife watch it. Get her take. <laughs> <laughs> I'll my wife loved the episode, so if that counts for anything. Okay. Well, and and there was something else too that um that occurred to me while I was listening to you know everyone else go on and on, um, but the the rumors about. Prima leaving the show, and um, it, it seems to me that this way, this episode kind of could be setting that up. You know that now she's seen, uh, seen how he can be disappointing. You know ah. that he, he he had a chance to be human and he didn't notice her. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then even when he was human and he fell in love, he, he let her, did that girl down, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe she's she's starting to Bursting see that... her bubble. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, too, is, like, maybe that she'll realize that, you know, she can't do this forever, and, you know, it, it may make it easier when she decides to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As long as they do it in a good way and not a, oh, I just met this guy and now we're in love, so we're going to run off together. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I can see that, that possibly part of that could be like the beginning of the steps of building it where she gets dissatisfied and decides to leave. Yeah. Or gets disillusioned. Mm-hmm. All right, well, very good. Thank you for your input, as always, and... Um, you know, we're, we're going to see where the rest of the series pans out, and um, you know, hopefully, the, the next few stories will pick things up for you. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. Actually, next week does look looks good. Looks like it might be a like a horror type. Yeah. It well, it's like it. Stephen Moffat is um, the writer for next week's story, and so far he's been scoring very well with with viewers and his past stories. So you know, um, next week shouldn't be any different. You know, obviously. This is the story that the Doctor and, and Martha are least in it. You know, it's, it's, it's episode 10 of the series, and, um, you know, so we'll see how that, that works out. Yeah. Okay. 
uh, thank you for your opinions, Dan, and hopefully we'll look forward to having you on next week, if you can okay. make it. And, Diane, just remind everyone where you're calling from. Uh, Sarasota, Florida. Okay, very good. Thanks so much. Okay. All right, well, um, I think we're going to go around, and uh, obviously Taras has left already, but he doesn't u- usually give TARDIS ratings anyway, so as far as TARDIS drones go, um, I'm going to, I guess I'll lead the pack here, and by no surprise, um, sorry, Diane, I'm giving it five TARDIS drones out of five. <laughs> And um, I think this is the, probably the first time that um, since um, the Empty Child and the Doctor Dances that I'm giving a two-parter, uh, both parts, five out of five, and overall a five out of five. Uh, I, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. It did have some elements and uh, that could have been more polished or, or explained better, or, um, but that didn't really interfere with my enjoyment of the story and, and of the two episodes. So... Um, uh, James, what was your part of phone? Well, I don't think it's going to be any surprise for me, either five out of five for both and overall. Um, but one thing that I loved and almost sort of brought a tear to my eye at the end of the episode, which you've kind of neglected to mention, was the whole thing with Tim and flashing yeah, yeah, actually- time and seeing him as an old guy and the Doctor it, and Martha spinning poppies to themselves. That was just Well, not terrific. to spoil... Not to spoil the movie, the final countdown, but it had a. Um, if you ever seen that movie, it, it, it brought me back to that moment as well. And um, it, it's. It, I mean, if if Timmy maybe gave the watch back to the doctor, it would have um, been more. I don't know, but I, I thought it was. I thought it was great how they did that. Yeah, as well, which is it was a really nice touch. So. Um, oh, thank you very much. Um, Ken, are you still with us? I am. And um, so how would you give your groans on this um, episode? (laughs) I open the podcast by saying five out of five, and I'm sticking to my guns. Um, I'm sticking to your groans. I'm sticking to my groans. uh, As both an individual (laughs) and as a two-parter, I I say five out of five. I understand that there's some criticism of the story, and uh, Lewis really said it best. He said it didn't really detract from my enjoyment of the story. Yeah, that's the most important thing. And, and at the end of the day, that's really why we watched Doctor Who. I mean, some of the classic episodes, are, uh, you know, I'm a big fan, fan of uh, Mind of Evil, as an example. And I mean, Mind of Evil's got some really wacky plot holes, and some, but, but it doesn't, it's just a fun episode. And that's the same thing here. Uh, we're exploring some territory we had never explored before, uh, and it was enjoyable to do so. Uh, yeah. You know, in comparison to a few other stories this season that that I and it was let down by, uh, this one here met my expectations of of the the quality standard I've, that we've come to expect in the new series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, let me give a let me poke Darth and wake him up. Make sure he's with us. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Darth. Hello. Um, I think that the episodes plotting problems are more serious uh, than maybe you guys do. Um, it, as a piece of metafiction, uh, it is bettered by many other examples that are not part of Doctor Who. Uh, Inner Light on Star Trek Next Generation, Far Beyond the Stars on Deep Space Nine. Um, that, and there are tons of comic stories which explore exactly the same territory and do it uh, better. 
Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, this is unusual for Doctor Who and the first time that we've been down this road. So in that regard, you know, just trying it is a good thing. You know, sure, it, it still gets a five out of five from me. Um, but it's a very qualified five out of five. And I don't think that this episode, I think this episode has, for me, a little bit more in common with Evolution of the Daleks than it does with uh, The Empty Child and Dr. Dances, in the sense that you've got these aliens that show up for no particularly good reason. It's not really plotted out very well, and that's, that's a big problem for me. Um, I think it's very typical of Paul Cornell in that something which you need to motivate the plot just happens to be there. So like the Reapers and, and um, like the Reaper, not just not just that the Reapers are there, but that the Reapers take exactly the amount of time to destroy the church as is necessary to have a good conversation inside. It, mm-hmm. it, uh, you know the mechanics of that are not explained. So it, when they finally really overtake the church, it's like, well, hello, you could have maybe explained that a little bit better. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's a five out of five because of Martha and her evolution. I loved, you know, the opening of this episode. I think that's like the the best cliffhanger resolution maybe ever in that, Mm -hmm. you know, the companion really takes charge. And she acted her socks off in this episode. Um, I am very much continuing to enjoy her her progress throughout the series. I think it's also great because of the historical references, so it's good for the traditional mandate of Doctor Who. And this continues what's been going on the whole season long of, you know, taking us back to his through history and giving kids things to think about. Um, I think it's really good that it didn't duck some of the horrors of war, even though it's for kids. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that the metaphor of shooting... Scarecrows is one of the more elegant metaphors that has happened in Doctor Who. Um, and, and certainly the stuff when the Doctor is human, which some would argue is the point of the episode, that, all, that stuff is all excellent. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's still a Doctor Who story where you have an alien, where you have a threat, and, and that threat just really isn't explained for me as well as it could be. Right. And, um, I, I, I'm not going to say it's the best. It's certainly not the best episode of the season. It's certainly not the best two-parter that we've seen since uh, coming back in 2005. But I, I guess it's a five-star story when it could be a six. And it bugs me that it's not a six because, as has been pointed out, it would have been relatively easy to make it a six. Just one more pass of the script would probably have done it. And it bugs me that they didn't do that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. So, um, Mike, I believe you're next on, on the list. Yep, yeah, and uh, obviously I'm another 5 out of 5 uh, uh, Raider on this one. Uh, and, until Darts mentioned it, uh, nobody had mentioned uh, so much Martha, and that's, that was something that I thought was sort of went uh, untalked about through most of uh, the podcast today, is how great Martha was. Yeah, how much she was given true. to do. And, and how much, it, I guess, it's in two ways showing such confidence in the character of Martha in the story and so much confidence in, if you imagine, in the actress, in the acting of the story. 
and both are great performances. Um, how the doctor is so completely in the hands of the companion. I think, unlike any time we've ever had, obviously we've had companions that that, that pitched in quite a bit, but I can't recall the, any time where the doctor was quite so helpless and the companion quite so uh, important and needed to save the day. And I think I think it was uh, uh, oh is it, is it Debbie? I'm not sure. Uh, mentioning about uh, you know is this foreshadowing for for what you know what might be to come with Martha and that's exactly what I thought too. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, yeah, I wasn't sure. Diane. Diane, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Really, uh, you know, so I'm looking forward to see you know, it, it, what what happens with Martha now. It's like after an episode like this, you do this much with her, it's very tough to to not you know keep you know upping the ante with a character like that. Uh, yeah, becoming so important. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to that for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, obviously the episode, everything about the episode was great. There are certainly those things where uh, Darth is right that uh, those those little things that that might have bothered him maybe didn't bother me. A lot of them could have been fixed uh, with with a quick line here or there. Uh, some of them, uh, I think, it might, would have been a mistake if they got too technical with some of the technical stuff of why this works or why that works. But some other motivational things, I can I can see the point uh, of why we might have wanted to know more. Uh, I thought the family of blood was was fantastic, and Baines in particular was fantastic. I loved I love that character. I love the voiceover at the at the, not, not I guess not at the end, but as as one of the three sort of coda endings of the story that that are that are mm-hmm. come one after another. Uh, the, that was great. And mm-hmm. and those those three endings, even I, I love. I love all of them. It, it, you know, there are there are so many things going on, but it wraps them all up. I, I thought that uh, uh, you know Tim was great, and seeing the way that the doctor had affected Tim's life, and I guess uh, effectively saved Tim's life down the road, and then and then comes back to see him, I thought was wonderful. It was uh, it, it was hundred percent Paul Cornell kind of material, and I guess if if you like that, then then you're going to go for it, and if you don't, then you're not. Yeah. Having a lot of trouble deciding. I still can't decide which episode I like more. I think when I think when I watch the the latest one I watch, it's better than part one. But then I start thinking about part one, and no, it's just as good. I think it's, I don't think we've ever had a two-parter for me that was this consistent. I think there's always been a definite episode that was better or worse, mm. even if one was five out of five and the other was four point nine nine out of five. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Here I, I really can't decide. Uh, yeah. Hey, you Whichever know, you're uh, watching at the time, maybe. Exactly. So if I go back and watch part one again, and I have That's watched part one yeah, through the week, uh, I did watch part one over again, and uh, I know I'm going to be watching part two again today. Uh, and that's the uh, best, yeah. I want to say more like this, please. I don't mean more like this episode, because, you know, you can, the only so many things you can do, we only need to do this once uh, in a series. Uh, but, you know, more to this, to this level of enjoyment. And, uh, okay. And... I uh, can't say any more positive than that. I'll concur with that as well, yes. Okay, well, that rounds it up. And uh, I want to thank everyone for participating in this episode of Doctor Who Podshock. It was a real fun episode to do and a great discussion that we had. Also, want to remind everyone that next week we're recording later than normal. It's 7.15 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Please uh, calculate the time in your time zone for that. And uh, hopefully um, I'll be here in time to start the show on time. So uh, next week is what, Utopia? 
Getting ahead of myself. <laughs> so uh, don't blink and um, don't miss next week's episode. And so thank you, everyone. Thanks, uh, James. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Doss. Thanks, Tarash is no longer had to leave early, and um, and everyone that has called in as well. Yeah. And, Cheers, um, everyone. West having Bye, Blake uh, Blake Seven podcast in uh, in a few moments. Yes, everyone scoot over. I believe um, on the talk shoe ID number is 30659 for um, the CIA. Yep. Okay, well, until next time, have a great week, and um, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Listening to Doctor Who Podshock live by the fan run org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey at gallifrey1.com. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. You've just heard an interactive, interactive interactive, podcast designed for audience participation. Come talk, talk, talk text chat, or listen live at TalkShoe.com.